This is Remy Fortier, and this is Union City Advice Givers Podcast. Each week, you'll get an inside look into the lives and stories of Union City entrepreneurs, business owners, and thought leaders. It's our goal to give Union City the best advice from our community's brightest and most trusted minds. For more episodes, check us out on our archive at unioncityadvicegivers.com. And if you know someone who you think should be on the show, go to unioncitypodcastbooking.com. Welcome back, podcast listeners, to a new episode of Union City Advice Givers. We have a great episode in store for you today with Ben Pearson, the owner of Green Keys Locksmith. Ben is the best-reviewed locksmith in the Bay Area and has some really useful advice for our listeners about protecting themselves and their home. And before we get into the interview, I want to give everyone a heads up. We will be making an announcement very soon about an event here in Union City that I know you will be as excited about as I am. I just ask that you save the date for an important event. It's going to be Tuesday, June 27th. And please follow us on Facebook for more details. The link, as always, is going to be in the show notes. So just scroll down for all the important links to keep posted. And thank you again for your continued support. Let's get into the show. So today we got Ben with us from Green Keys. Ben, how long have you uh, been a locksmith? So I went through a brief training program in 2008, and then I worked for another company all of 2009, and I started Green Keys in 2010. So at least so, well, about to be 10 years. Yeah, getting, getting close to 10 years in the industry. And how does one become a locksmith? Typically, <clears throat> your dad was a locksmith, grandfather, uncle, neighbor, and you've kind of learned from somebody else that you're close to or maybe even related to. <clears throat> I did not go that route. Nobody, I didn't even know any locksmiths in my life anywhere. So I uh, went, as I mentioned, through a brief training program and uh, learned like 10% of all of the different things within the industry, residential, commercial, automotive, <clears throat> and then started working. And I learned a lot. I've just, I mean, I continually learn every day. Learn a lot just on the job. What did you do before that? <coughs> it's more like, what didn't I do before that? <laughs> I had so many jobs. I was, well, uh, right before that, I was a player piano technician. Okay. Wow. I waited tables at the Outback Steakhouse. Nice. I worked in the tool department at Dale Hardware. Nice. I did Target. I did Radio Shack. I was a machinist, a welder, a fabricator. I drove the Zamboni at an ice rink. Nice. Uh, Which ice rink? Uh, Fremont. Shark's Ice Fremont. Okay. Back in the day, it was called Isoplex. Okay. Uh, that, I think, is it. Did you grow up here? I did. Uh, moved here in 1988 when I was eight years old. Okay. Um, born in Boston, Menlo Park, Washington, D.C., and then Fremont in 1988. Oh, so, so you're like crossing the country. Back and forth, back and forth as a little, little kid, which I don't remember much of, but I definitely consider the Bay Area and East Bay to, to be home, yeah. And what do you do when you're not working on your business? Uh, that's seldom. However, <laughs> uh, I play a lot of ice hockey, which was one of the reasons why when I was younger I worked at an ice rink driving the Zamboni. Been playing hockey a long time. And uh, I like to tinker and innovate and invent and uh, fix and build and design stuff, uh, mostly out of metal. I was trying to stay away from wood, never really liked wood too much. But uh, I Wait, mountain with, bike. With the hockey, what do yeah. you, where, what team, is it a great, recreational league? Great question. question, yeah. So it is a men's recreation league based out of Fremont. Uh, there's eight teams in the division. And I play on Green Keys Locksmith Hockey Club. All right. Yeah. So you're your own sponsor. I got my own team. Yeah. We got green jerseys and little keys on the shoulders, and it's awesome. it's pretty funny. Yeah. So yeah. Do, you, do you guys get a lot of fans, and, and is it easy to recruit, or do you have trouble finding members? So sadly, there's very few fans. Um, even though it's free to come watch, maybe we'll have three or four people there on a regular okay. basis watching the game. It's usually someone's spouse wife, wife girlfriend whatever um i mean the the level of hockey is decent but this is yeah, but no nhl yeah but and it's not no like fighting. we have a game on all the time that they can go see true it's pro true that's very true um 
every once in a while there'll be a more important game again you know the the rivals first place for second place or it's a championship game or a playoff game then maybe we'll get 10 people to show up but it's not that much as far as recruiting goes uh we kind of have a wait list Okay, yeah. so we got plenty of players and not enough plenty, fans. Yeah, plenty of players, not enough fans. Exactly. <laughs> how did Green Keys do, or how are they doing? So, uh, championship game was just last Tuesday, two days ago. We did not do well during regular season. As a matter of fact, we came in last place. However, we came into the playoffs, because in this particular league, everybody makes the playoffs. Sure. There's only eight teams, so all eight teams go to the playoffs. <clears throat> Went into the playoffs, first round, eighth place plays first place. We beat the first place team in the playoffs. Knocked them out. Single elimination. Then we played the third place team, I think, next. We beat them. And then in the championship game, all the way through to the third period, we were winning 1-0. And they came back and scored a couple of goals. And we lost. So, but you made it all the way. We made it all the way to the championship game, despite our poor performance earlier in the season. And uh, came in second place. Well, congrats on that much. Thank you. So uh, tell me, sum it up in one point. What does a locksmith do? In your, in your words, how would you define it? Sure. Most locksmiths do a little bit of everything. There certainly are some firms that specialize in one discipline or another. Uh, only automotive or only residential or only commercial. Um, what I tell customers typically or people that are interested or willing to listen I fix locks and I make keys. Just about anything that you can think of, I don't specialize in one thing. I do a little bit of everything. I actually do a lot of bit of everything. Residential, commercial, automotive, any, just about anything you can think of with very few exceptions, lock or key related, I can take care of it. What, what led you to, I already asked you how you became a locksmith, so what made you decide to start your own company? Well, uh, I have had issues with authority my entire life. My mom says at two years old, I started saying no. Ben, do this, Ben, do that. No, no, no. So fortunately, never been in any real trouble. It's not like I'm in trouble with the law or anything. But bosses, I've always, I've, I've had so few good bosses of all these jobs that I mentioned earlier. So, uh, maybe in my mid-20s or so, 25, 26. I was 26 when I started doing the player piano technician thing. Yeah, I have to ask about that. Okay, can we segue? Yeah, yeah. How do you become a player piano technician? My family's in the piano industry. Okay. My grandfather had a piano business back in Rapid City, South Dakota. Okay. My mom got into the industry that way. Then she had a piano business here in the Bay Area. For a while, then she ultimately sold it and worked for another large piano company. And at the time, there was only one guy in the Bay Area that had this particular job. Player piano technician. Very specific, incredibly small niche. Right. You take a regular piano and you modify it so that the piano can play all by itself. Right. You see, I mean, so it wasn't originally a player piano? Correct. Interesting. So, yeah, I'd never heard of that. Yeah, it was just, regular, it was just a regular piano. And with this aftermarket kit and a fairly mechanical conversion, you could hit a button on your iPhone and your piano in the other room would start playing. Wow. And it it didn't just sound like it was playing. It wasn't just a speaker mounted under the piano. The hammers hit the strings with electric solenoids and the piano played. The keys moved. Wow. It was really cool. There was only one guy in the Bay Area doing it and he was older, getting ready to retire. So my mom, of course, knew this because she was in the industry, and she called me one day. I was working at the Outback Steakhouse at the time. She said, hey, do you want to be a player piano technician? And I said, I don't know. Do I? (laughs) She said, well, it's decent money. I said, okay, that's a good start. Training, what do I need to do? And she's like, well, it's a pretty short course, two, uh, two days in Las Vegas. Darn. Darn. (laughs) <laughs> take, take the course, you're certified, you start working. I said, okay, so I have very little to lose if I don't like it or it doesn't work out. Yeah, let's go for it. And I didn't really know at the time, but that position was, is, I wasn't working for anybody. Mm-hmm. I was an independent contractor. 
And so I would get the calls from these various piano stores from the salesman, hey, we just sold this retrofit. It needs to be done on this day. It didn't matter when I did it. I could do it in the middle of the night. I could do it over the course of a week. I could do it all in one day, which is what I usually did. I usually just knocked it out like 15 hours straight. But that was when I got my first taste of kind of being in charge of my own time and my own responsibilities. Right. I didn't, as long as I hit the deadline, I didn't really have to answer to anybody. I don't want to call you and look over your shoulder. Exactly. Yeah. As long as it worked and it continued to work after the delivery and I met the delivery date, it was great. A lot, so of, I, a lot of entrepreneurs have an experience like that early on. Yes. Their first taste of not having to answer to anyone else, it, it creates this bug and then it becomes almost impossible to go back I and was work so for hooked. someone else. I was so hooked. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was the bug. And then when you tried to go back to other jobs, it was never quite the same. Yeah. So after the player piano thing, let's see. I had one job between that and the locksmith gig. I was uh, attempting to sell something I forgot to mention earlier. I was attempting to sell motorcycles okay. at, at uh, East Bay Motorsports in Hayward. Got it. I have a motorcycle and I like motorcycles. I was not cut out to be a motorcycle salesman <laughs> or really a salesman of any kind where you're just trying to push stuff on people. Yeah, not many people are. Yeah, but I was working for somebody after that experience of kind of being my own boss as an independent contractor, and it, it was did not go well. So I, it was time to do the next thing, and I stumbled on an advertisement on Google accidentally that said, do you want to be a locksmith? And I thought to myself, you know, usually you ignore the ads right. on Google. Right. Just looking for the organic stuff. But on this particular day, I was actually at work at the motorcycle dealership. And I saw this ad and I thought to myself, maybe I do want to be a locksmith. I certainly don't want to sell motorcycles anymore. And I clicked on it and it was an advertisement for the Bay Area School of Locksmithing. Classes were starting soon, reasonably priced, six-month program. And I went for it. And there you are. And then... After that, or when going through that program, I had every intention of immediately starting my own little locksmith company. Mm -hmm. And upon completion of that course, unanimous, everybody in my life, the people at the school, the people that I had met along the way in the industry, friends and family said, no, go work for somebody for at least a couple years. Was Learn that some more. And then go out and start your own business. Looking back now, was that good advice? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It, was, it was the only way, well, not the only way, it was by far the best way that it could have gone down. Yeah. I learned so much of what to do working for that other company. I also learned a lot of what not to do at that other company. And I, yeah, I just never would have had that opportunity without yeah. doing it. I think when uh, you work for somebody else too, you learn what not to do. And in business, that's a big lesson, you know. It's, Absolutely. it's usually gonna save you a few thousand dollars. Uh, a you lot know, of time. A lot of headaches. time and effort. And I think too, as I was talking about it with um, Daryl Blackburn, he's a chiropractor, and we were talking about how when you get into a particular field, you can be the best locksmith, you could be the best chiropractor, and you can have no idea how to run a business. Absolutely. And so that leads me to question four. What has been your biggest challenge? It's okay. Go ahead. Nope. Don't get it. So biggest challenge, there's a couple. Uh, well, at the risk of complaining, there's, of course, driving around sitting in traffic. That's not necessarily a challenge, but it's part, eh, it's part of the industry, part of the job that I don't really like. But that's, you know, nobody likes to sit in traffic. Uh, also... Dealing with the general public is very challenging. Um, most people are great, but every once in a while, you get someone who's not great, or you get someone that's great that's just having a bad day. And, you know, it, it's... The general public doesn't... Usually doesn't think, as the business owner and the professional, that you're allowed to have a bad day. <laughs> you got to be on 100% all the time. Sure. Kind of in their minds, the way their expectations seemingly have been set. But the... Most challenging part for me has been trying to figure out how to scale my business. Mm. The way that I set it up, which I don't even know if it was really intentional in the beginning or even midway, 
was, I am the company, the company is me. I am the brand, the brand is me. And so I hired my mom for a while right. just to answer the phones. <laughs> People would call, Green Keys Locksmith, this is Connie. And I don't know what the ratio was, but a lot of people would say, can I talk to Ben, please? And she would say, oh, you know, Ben's out on a service call. Is there something I can do for you? Oh, I just really want to talk to Ben. I mean, there were people that would call and they weren't friends. They weren't repeat customers. These were brand new customers that had seen my name online all over reviews and didn't even want to talk to anybody else, let alone have somebody else come out and actually do the work. And so, as as far as scaling is concerned, one man, fixed, 24 hours in a day, fixed, it's really tough. Yeah. There's only so much business you can do personally without being able to bring on more people, but you've created a brand and a reputation yeah. that is based on you as yes. an individual. Yes. Got it. It's, so it's re- a, that is a big challenge. It's a challenge. I, you know, um, there's a lot of, of talk about how to scale and... and what to do, but it's it's a unique problem when everybody's reading the reviews. And so that kind of brings me to another question I had for you, which is, you know, I, I've interviewed plenty of people and I always check them out on Yelp and see what people have to say in, in various review sites. Sure. I have never found someone who can claim that they are the best of the Bay Area on Yelp. So how did you get that from Yelp? And what does it take for another person in any other field to be able to do something like that? What do you think it is? So it is a lot of work, obviously. Um, But the most important thing, or a few of the most important things are just do the right thing. Don't let greed drive the business and money. Obviously, I'm a for-profit company. I need to make a living. I have bills to pay. I want to do things. But I don't let the money be the number one thing consuming my brain when making decisions about anything, including my business. Can you tell us a story about a time like that? So let's see. I had a job. I had a lady call me one time. And this is, yeah, this is a good story about doing the right thing or doing the right thing slash being compassionate and not necessarily you know, sticking to your guns 100%, right? Being flexible. I had this lady call me and she was, I could tell that she was kind of in tears on the other end of the line there. She had locked her keys in her car and it wasn't even her car. She was borrowing a friend's car because her car was in an accident at somebody else's fault. It was in the shop. She was borrowing a friend's car, locked her keys in and she was just not having a good week or a good day. And I said, okay, I charge 80 bucks to come open up a car in Fremont. And she was very upset. Oh, I don't have that much money. Can you do it for less? And um, another good point is, uh, this is a slight sidetrack. She said, I don't have that much money. (laughs) She didn't say, oh, you're too expensive. Yeah. In my opinion, there's a big difference between those two statements. Anyway, she said, I don't have that much money. And I thought about it, and this was, I was already two-thirds the way through my day. And I was having a pretty good day. I had some really good jobs, some really good customers. I had made a decent amount of money already, and the day wasn't even over. And she was local. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm having a pretty good day. This lady's having a pretty bad day. I'm going to go help her out. I'm not going to, I committed to, I'm going to go help this person and not, I'm going to get 80 bucks from this lady. Sure. Right? So I told her that more or less over the phone. I said, I tell you what, I'm going to come help you out. Don't worry about it. We'll see how long it takes. See if it's a difficult job. And I got there and it was, it was pretty straightforward, standard, easy job. Mm -hmm. I charged her 20 bucks. This lady was so happy. She started crying again, except for (laughs) she was happy. Happy tears. Happy tears. Right? And, you know, sure, I didn't make a ton of money on that job, but I felt like I was doing the right thing given her situation, having a bad day, my situation, I was having a good day, kind of even each other out, and, uh, you know, I got to help somebody. Yeah, and it feels good. And it feels good. And she wrote me a review. Right. Unsolicited. That's another thing. I never asked for reviews. Not one review 
has ever been asked for. Sure, if someone wants to write me one, great. If someone wants to talk about Yelp, I'll talk about it all day. But I will never ask for a review. And I definitely never say, hey, I'll give you 10 bucks off if you <laughs> write me a review. Oh, it kind of defeats the purpose. But, it completely defeats the purpose. But that's part of why I do this show, too, because I think that you can't trust online reviews. You can trust the online consensus. I sure. think when someone has 50, 100, 300 good reviews, yeah. it's a pretty good chance they're good at what they do. But sure. when they have five or six, you don't really know if that's their five or six closest friends and family exactly. giving them that review. So, you know, it, it takes a lot of reviews before I feel like I can trust the majority. But then you've also got those ones that are going to go online and give you a bad review just out of spite. And, you know, the best they, they tell you when you work with Yelp but, or, or any review site, the best thing you can do is respond to those yeah. and address those. But, you know, I'm like you, not every client is, is worthy of all a lot of energy sure if they're determined to you know just spread their bad day all over everyone around them so and i've had a few of those too if you could go back in time to the start of your business what advice would you give your younger self so one of the things it wasn't necessarily a mistake for my business early on it was more of a Mistake is even a strong word, but I can't think of another word. Mistake for my sanity in my personal life is early on, I was 100% dedicated to my company. Everything else took a back seat, which, sure, it was a brand new thing. You got to put in a lot of work. And even now, I put in a lot of work. I'm not coasting. My foot's still on the gas. It's just maybe not on the gas quite as much as it used to be. But in the beginning, for about two and a half years, I worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week, zero days off. I'd be in the middle of dinner, I'd get a call, I'm gone. The only exceptions were if I was at a wedding or if I was at a funeral. Other than that, I answered the phone in the shower. I answered the phone at four o'clock in the morning. I went and did work when I was sick. It did not matter what else was going on. Stopped playing hockey. Relationships with my significant other suffered. With my friends suffered. With my family suffered. And yeah, great. The business is doing well. And I got it off the ground and wonderful. But if I had to go back, I would tell myself, just try and have a little bit of work, play, Balance. Just a little bit more balance. Just a little bit more. Yeah. Sure. Maybe still 90% work and 10%. Still very skewed, yeah. especially in the beginning, but not not a hundred percent all you, day, every day. Would you agree that, you know, giving yourself a little bit more of that balance and a little bit more of non-work time makes you a better uh, business person during the times that you're on. It absolutely does. Because I really feel like if I give myself the right amount of time to do whatever it is I need to do, I'm more patient with my clients. I don't I don't lose my, my cool as easily. And uh, I put more thought into what I'm doing because I have more energy for it. Yes, that is all 100% true. More thought, you care more. You're, you're, you know, you haven't reached the point of being burnt out or approaching that point where you're burnt out. Uh, work, work, play balance is, is super important. And I'm, I'm much better at it now, although there are probably some people who still argue that I'm a little workaholic-ish, but, uh, but I'm much better at it now and things are better in all aspects of my life now because of that balance. So tell me a time where you really felt like you were making a difference. I mean, just kind of generally being in the business of helping people Every once in a while, someone just needs something done immediately. They, it's very time sensitive. They fired somebody. They evicted somebody. They broke up with somebody. They lost a key. A key was stolen. They're locked out. They're locked out. They left their keys inside and it's cold and it's dark. And Have it's you had raining. those calls where there's a kid locked in? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's one of, I, yeah, I yeah. actually, one of my girlfriends, I was, had her son staying with me. They were visiting, and he was two, and he locked himself in the bathroom. Two years old. Yeah. That's I, the popular age. Down. Yeah. And you know <laughs> what? A lot of times, I'm sure, I never, I don't get the calls, but right. I'm sure a lot of times the doors are just getting kicked down. But 
in the in the few that I've done, I've done a couple where the kids are locked in the car. As a matter of fact, <sighs> I did a job recently for a friend of mine Uh-oh. who will remain nameless, otherwise she would kill me. She accidentally locked all three of her kids in her van at like, I don't know, nine o'clock at night. Oh boy. And she sent me a text. Hey Ben, are you available? I kind of have an emergency. And you know, when a good friend says they have an emergency in a text, you call them. I called her immediately. Again, I'm not gonna say her name. Hey, (laughs) what's going on? And she said, well, I kind of locked all my kids in my car. My husband is not available, he has the extra key. Are you around? And fortunately, I was. I had just finished up another job. I was 10 minutes from her house. I jammed over there, opened it, saved the kids, had a good time. Everybody's happy. She baked me a cake. It was wonderful. <laughs> Very talented baker. Um, but, but, you know, just generally having the ability to help people is, uh, is a really cool and rewarding thing. And uh, I do get to do that on a fairly regular basis. So tell me a little bit more about locksmithing. One, one of my questions is, you know, if you could give blanket advice to the majority of your customers, what is something that you feel most people don't know that they should? Sure. So I have a short list here. <laughs> Good. The, the number one thing is for every guy like me who is a legitimate, licensed, insured, skilled locksmith, and there's plenty of us, but for every guy like me, there are hundreds of what we call scammers. These are guys that are advertising, hey, we're the best local low price locksmith, call us now. But they are the furthest from that. They're not trained, not licensed, not insured. They show up in a car with no real tools and then they do their absolute best to scam you. Typically, they prey on people who have time-sensitive situations, locked out of your car, locked out of your house. And what they will do is over the phone, they'll tell you an obscenely low price, 15 bucks. Nobody can do anything for 15 bucks, but they'll say $15. Or they'll say things like $35 and up. And if you're not paying attention because you're so frazzled that you just locked your three kids in your car, you're thinking, yeah, whatever, 35 bucks, fine, just sure, hurry up and show up, when can you be here? And then what happens, they'll show up typically hours later. They ran out of gas, they got a flat tire, they got in an accident, they got a speeding ticket, and eventually they show up. They look at your door and they say, oh, this is gonna be a really tough lock. This is a special lock, I gotta go get my special tools, this is going to be, and then they just make up a number, 500, 800, 350, whatever it is, but it's going to be 500% more than the $15 that they told you on the phone. But at that point, he's supposed to be a locksmith. You have no idea if you have a special lock or not, generally. You've already waited for him for who knows how long. You're so frustrated. You're locked out. Your kids are crying. Okay, fine, just do it. Yeah. And then he ruins your lock unnecessarily. A legitimate locksmith would have non-destructively, non-invasively manipulated that lock without any damage whatsoever. He ruins it, charges you hundreds of dollars more than it's supposed to be, and then goes to the next call to do the same thing again. So, and that is just something that in a small town, it doesn't happen because you screw over one person. Everybody talks. Everybody knows at church next weekend almost immediately and the jig is up. But in a huge town or in a huge city. Market like the Bay Area. Millions of people live here. You can screw every person once for years before finally everybody knows about the bait and switch scam locksmith tactic company. Right. right. So that's the biggest thing. So what's the best way for people to protect themselves from that? So... Find a, find a locksmith before you need a locksmith. Program, preferably my name and number in your phone, but however you want to find a legitimate locksmith, here, Yelp, Angie's List, whatever it is, someone else that you know, 
Get that name and number and put it in your phone now because you don't need one now. But when you do need one, you're going to forget and you're going to go on Google and you're just going to click on the first thing that you see and the scam companies buy all of the advertising at the top of Google. Right. So. That's where all the illegitimate yeah. guys are. Because they're the ones that have to pay for customers. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, they're not getting any repeat business or any word of mouth referrals. So they pay for all the advertising and that's the best thing that you can do. Right. Put a locksmith in your phone now. Hopefully me. But if not, another highly rated locksmith in your area that you've vetted on Yelp or Angie's List or whatever. Or Next personal door. Referral. Personal referral. Got it. And uh, Make yeah. sure they're insured, licensed. Insured, licensed. Got it. And look, every once in a while, maybe one out of 500 locks, yeah, they are difficult and require damaging to open them, but it is very rare. Okay. So. What's another thing that you would want the people to know? Also, and the rest of this is probably quite a bit shorter. Most locksmiths in this day and age are mobile. They don't have a storefront. Right. It's just a guy in a van. I'm a guy in a van. I do have a commercial warehouse space, but as a one-man business, I'm driving around the van all day. There's nobody at the office. Right. So you can't just, most guys, you can't just show up and stop by. There's a few physical locksmith shops still around, but not very many. And I think the reason for that is because most people nowadays think, hey, I need a key made. I'm just going to go down to Home Depot. I'm going to yeah. go to Walmart. Right. I'm going to go to the liquor store. The hardware store. The, I mean, yeah. and that's another point that I wanted to make is that's kind of pushed physical brick and mortar locksmith stores out of business. There's no reason because people aren't going to them anyway to make keys. They're home. Everybody thinks Home Depot, Home Depot, Lowe's, Orchard, Dale yeah. Hardware, whatever. Right. And some are better than others. As a matter of fact, Dale Hardware does a pretty darn good job at making keys. Okay. But um, the other ones are kind of hit or miss. Sometimes they make great keys. A lot of the time, the keys are not great. Well, and usually the person doing it uh, is whatever cashier you ask. Correct. Yeah, not a trained locksmith. The yeah. hardware stores don't employ any locksmiths. So, And their equipment sometimes is not maintained properly or calibrated on a regular basis. Or like you said, it's just some cashier or somebody yeah. who maybe hasn't been trained appropriately. Yeah. Well, in my business, I deal with bad keys all day long. Of course. So opening houses, uh, most... Real estate agents, we go down to a Home Depot type place and we make two, three extra copies of every key so that we can put it in the lock boxes. Sure. And those are usually brand new keys that have never been tried. Yeah. And so we're sitting there with our clients in the dark trying to open a lock box and yeah. then get the key out. And and then we're in, you know, in the grass on the side of the house getting the key out and then we finally do and it doesn't work. It so doesn't work. It happens all the time. Yeah, it does. And I've gotten plenty of calls. From agents. <laughs> hey, we thought we had the key, but I think it's a Home Depot key and it's not working. So can you please come out here? Yes. I get calls like that all the time. I'm sure. Yeah. So um, try and stay away from the big box hardware stores for key, for key duplication. Making. Okay. Uh, nice shout out for Dale. Nice Go shout out for her. Dale. Dale Hardware does an awfully good job, better than all of the others for sure. Right. Um, and I used to work there. So okay. I'm, I'm partial to them, of course, for a variety of reasons. And let's see. Um, last thing deals with the physical security on your home. Right. <clears throat> Where the locks engage to the frame, there are little metal plates there. They're called strike plates. A lot of times when the locks were installed, either by the homeowner, a handyman, or just the original builders some corners were cut and the plates were put on with relatively short screws. And when those plates only tie in to the door frame with short screws, the door is relatively easy to force open, kick open, shoulder it open, whatever, forced entry, which is the most popular way that homes are being broken into. The doors just get kicked in and the door frame splits. So basically that screw is not penetrating from the frame into the stud. The stud. Correct. So, real easy thing to do. Go to your strike plates, take the screws out. If they're three inches and they're tied into the stud, great, wonderful. That's, a, a, that's industry standard. That's how it should be. And now it might take somebody 10 kicks to kick the door open and not one. And usually they give up after two or three 
and go looking for another house that only has the short screws. So, and you know, sometimes I show up to a home and the strike plate's missing completely. Right. Then there's only the wood frame there and that's really bad. Then a 10 year old could kick that door open. Wow. But strike plate installed, long three inch screws through the plate into the stud makes your door much stronger and resistant to forced entry. Well, I think that's really good advice. I did not know that. Yeah. And I see a lot of kicked in doors yeah. in my business. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, vacant homes, yeah. uh, people break into them all the time. So now the next time I see a kicked in door, I'm gonna look and see if that screw was the short screw. Exactly. Because I see it all the time. Yep. You know, so now once a door's been kicked in too, I've also seen where the wood splinters and stuff, is there yep. something people should do after that? Do you have to replace the entire frame or? It depends upon how bad the damage is. Um, I, I do work with a couple of local contractors when the door, when the frame is really destroyed and it's beyond, you know, I mentioned earlier, I don't like to work with wood that much. <laughs> if it's beyond my scope, I will have one of my contractor buddies come out and replace a section of the frame or sometimes even the entire frame or or jam but usually you can kind of usually it breaks in a few large pieces and you can kind of put them back into place like a puzzle glue them in get a couple of nails in there and then install um, you know the normal strike plate is only two or three inches tall but after a damaged frame like that after a break-in or a kick-in or an attempted kick-in you can buy much larger strike plates, six inches, even 12 inches, that kind of covers up and reinforces that damaged split frame. Sometimes it's not cosmetically perfect, but at least structurally, the integrity has been brought back to where it should be. Okay. Sounds good to me. Um, what about the type of locks that people use? Is it really important to spend a little bit of money to get a better lock? Yeah, so... <clears throat> This kind of goes with most things in life. You get what you pay for. Price is an indication of quality, usually. You're not gonna buy a Mercedes for Honda money, Yeah. usually, right? Have you seen, let me ask it in a different way. Yeah. Have you seen uh, evidence of a break-in with a cheap, where the lock was at fault? You know, that... We talked about the short screws. Yes. What about the times where, I mean, there's some easier to pick or... For break-in purposes. Honestly, it's rare. Yeah. Usually, by far, the weakest link is the door frame. Yeah. I actually framed a wall in my shop, mm -hmm. put a door in, just to test hardware by forced entry. Okay. And I started kicking. And with a standard door frame and a standard door and a standard lock, you give it a couple of kicks, the frame gives way. Yeah. Once you have the frame shored up and reinforced, then, believe it or not, the door breaks. The door fails around the lock. Once you have like a metal reinforced wrap on the door, mm -hmm. now the weakest link becomes the lock. I kicked and I kicked and I kicked and I kicked and I couldn't get just your average entry level lock to fail. Deadbolt. Deadbolt, yes. Oh yeah, that's another great point. <laughs> that was what you taught me when you came to work on my house. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Locking doorknobs are almost worthless. You want a deadbolt on every door. Every exterior door, interior doors, whatever. But every exterior door, if you only have a locking doorknob, you should have a locking deadbolt installed. Or if you have both and you only use the locking doorknob out of convenience, which is what I was doing. Yes. Stop doing that. Yeah, and, and that's a very popular thing. There's plenty of people that have been broken into because they didn't use the deadbolt for convenience and somebody came and just slipped the credit card in and bypassed the locking doorknob. And you can't, you can't bypass a locking deadbolt with a yeah. credit card. And I, having been uh, in a situation where I was locked out with just a doorknob, you can actually just break it. You can break it. <laughs> with it's, your hands. I'm a girl. I can break it. Yeah. So. It's pretty easy to force them it's open. It's not so bad. Yeah. So speaking of locks, yes. um, as I peruse through your website, I see something about a lock that you actually designed. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I developed a product called the Top Lock back before I was even a locksmith. I bought myself uh, 2000, uh, let's see, in... 2003, I bought a 1995 Mazda Miata, which I later sold to raise capital to start my business. 
Okay. In 2010. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> so I had a hard top on this little Mazda Miata. It was a convertible, but I had a hard, removable hard top. And the hard tops were expensive. And they had a high value after, uh, uh, on the used market on Craigslist. And they were very small, relatively small, lightweight, and easy to steal. And the factory Mazda Miata latches were non-lockable. So I went online looking for Miata hardtop locks. Couldn't find anything. And so the mother of invention a lot of times is necessity. I didn't want my top to get stolen. So I created the top lock, which the only thing that that product did was prevent you from stealing the hard top off the Mazda Miata built from 1989 through 2003, if I remember correctly. And uh, the company still exists, or I mean the company, it's not, it's really a company, it's a product. The product still exists, we still make them, we still sell them. Well, it's if a, you got a Miata, yeah, you need one. You need one. If you're in the big, I mean, if you garage it, you don't need one. But sure. if you got to park your Mazda Miata, first or second generation, with a hard top on the street, you should have a top lock. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a fun little project. Did, was, was there a fun to be, being an inventor going through the, did you patent it? So we got a patent pending, uh-huh. which you can do for a year and it's not very expensive. I think it was a couple hundred bucks. To get a full-blown utility patent or design patent, unless you know a patent attorney, you're usually going to spend about ten grand. So not quite worth it if the profit's not there. Exactly, and it was is such a niche market. Yeah, yeah, there was just not. But you worth solved it. a problem, so there are people out there that are grateful. Yeah, for yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. I'm I'm still waiting for. I mean, that was over ten. Uh, no, not quite. I think I developed that in. 2000s no it has been 10 years it was 2007 okay. when, when i when i did that little product and uh we've had a couple design um updates along the way but i'm still waiting for somebody to email me and say someone broke in my car they tried to steal my top but they couldn't get it your locks worked because of the top lock because of the top lock and <laughs> that hasn't happened yet okay i don't know if it's because because listeners if you have a miata yeah Please let us know if you've had an attempted break-in. Exactly. And your top lock saved you. <laughs> so I had another lock-based question. When we were chatting while you were doing some work for me, yeah. you mentioned when someone wanted you to go all the way to New York to install a specialized system. So what kind of system would require a locksmith from California to travel to New York? Sure. So there's a, there's a really cool company based out of San Francisco called the August... Uh, well, they're called August but their product is, is the August Smart Lock. And it is a, it, it's designed to allow you to control the lock on your front door, typically of your residence, with your smartphone, iPhone, Android. And home automation nowadays, of course, is super popular with Nest and the cameras and the lights, the Hue lights, and you can control your whole home from your smartphone. And so uh, this company recognized the need for, or the demand for having a smart lock and they created it, the August Smart Lock. It's a fantastic product. It's my favorite, one of my favorites of in that space. And I've been working with them uh, pretty much since their beginning. And I've installed a bunch of, I've done a bunch of installs for them. Um, People have called them for help and they've given my name out for, hey, you got to call where, this where guy. Where are they based out of? In South San Francisco. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And one of my, the, w- the way I got in with that company is one of my former customers who had a home in Palo Alto who needed me to fix a lock for him ended up getting hired as one of the lead engineers for that company. Oh, wow. And so that's how I kind of worked my way in there. It's all about who you know or, or who knows you, really. And uh, let's see. So going back to the August Smart Lock. So this guy called August and said, hey, I need help installing this lock. I'm in New York. And he had a very particular, rare situation where he was living in kind of a, an, a, an apartment complex, but it was a high-rise. And high-rise apartment buildings, even though they're residential, they're built typically to commercial standards or commercial building codes. So the August lock wasn't originally intended to work. It'll be compatible with 
commercial locks. They were, fo they were really focusing just on the residential market. But this guy in New York, because of where he lived, he had a commercial lock on his front on the front door of his apartment, but he really wanted to use the August smart lock and there was compatibility issues. So he called August and said, hey, this is what I have. And they said, oh, you gotta call Ben at Green Keys. He's the only guy that we know of in the country that does this conversion, this, this retrofit, this modification. And so he called me and said, hey, I need you to come do this project. I'm in New York. And I said, well, I'm in California. And he said, yeah, I know, but nobody else can do it. I can't even believe you answered your phone. Okay, well, let's see if I can figure out how to do this remotely. And so he sent me a bunch of pictures of his lock. I bought his exact setup and mocked up his front door at my shop, got the August Smart Lock, did the retrofit and made the necessary modifications for the conversion, taped it or recorded it, whatever, with my iPhone, made, it, made a couple videos, printed out a few instructions, took a few pictures and sent all of the parts to him modified by me with instructions on how to install it on the door. And then he found a local guy in New York who could turn the screws and follow my directions to put the product on his door physically. And it went off. And it went off. It worked. So he's all set now. He's all set. And that other locksmith, probably very grateful to you. Yes. Cause he, <laughs> Did he have to call you? You know what? He didn't have to call me. Um, I was I gave him my number, of course, and was expecting him to have to call me. But no, he followed the directions, got it installed uh, without a hitch, and the customer's happy. And now he can operate his commercial lock with the August Smart Lock and his iPhone. It takes a certain level of dedication to go that far for a customer on a deal you are not even physically going to be present for. Correct. So. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. So when you say that you used to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, yeah. and you hinted that you don't quite do that anymore, although sure. when I asked you when you stopped working, you kind of said never. So I would say there's some, some happy in between there, but some amount of that dedication has probably also led to you getting to where you are now. Absolutely. To being able to have a, such a good reputation within this industry that doesn't really have a great reputation. It's not a lot of happy campers Correct. out there in the world of locksmithing. When I was interviewing the owner of Chaplains. Yes. Alfred. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. So I asked him the same question. He really didn't have a daily routine. But he mentioned that every night when he goes to bed, he sits there and stresses about what he could have done differently, ah. unsatisfied customers. And I found in just conversations with various entrepreneurs, a lot of us do that. Is there anything that you do at the end of the day where you kind of review? Yeah, ab absolutely. I am not one of those people that can fall asleep in the blink of an eye. I'm After the lights go out, I would say I'm still awake with my eyes closed and my brain processing for maybe 30 minutes or so okay. and yeah I reflect I typically will reflect on my entire day which was mostly made up of business and business decisions and work um, so yeah I definitely reflect on on my day and what I could have done differently or you know sometimes I'll pat myself on the back I'm like I definitely handled that one right that, sure. that was a that was the right way to do this or that I'm glad that it worked out as good as it did um, I do, however, before I turn the lights out every night, I watch Seinfeld. I want to go to bed laughing every night and not angry or, you know, pouring over maybe some mistakes that I may have done. Mm -hmm. It's important to think about them and try and correct and improve for next time. But um, I try not to let it get me down too much. And I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. You and know, I watch it every night. It's funny that you said that. When I was my early 20s i uh we had a comcast outage in our neighborhood mm -hmm. and we had no cable for 48 hours and this was uh during the age of dvds but we had a giant vhs collection and uh we happened to have had someone who was obsessed with seinfeld who had every single episode on vhs mm -hmm. and so i had never watched seinfeld Seinfeld was already off the air when this happened or was about to go off the air okay. i think it was already off the air when this happened okay. and we actually sat there and i became a huge seinfeld fan as yeah. well so i binge watched yeah uh, for, and that that went from those first two days into like a three i think it took me like three months yeah to go there's... through and watch all of it so we yeah. definitely appreciate that yeah around here 
<laughs> if you could give advice to somebody just getting started, I would just say as a locksmith, I would say in anything, what, what advice would you give? Yes, the money is important, but don't let it be the, don't, don't be greedy. Don't let it be the number one thing that every decision or most decisions are based on. Because sometimes it's it's not all about the money. And it's worth pointing out that it's going to come back around anyway. It's, it should be more specific. It's not all about the money now up front. You know, you do the right thing. Maybe you didn't make as much money as you wanted to or could have or should have, whatever. But it's going to come back to you later with... That person, again, the referrals that that person is going to give you, the reviews that that person is going to write. And so if you're, I mean, that's what the scammers do, right? They're in it for all of the money now. They could care less about the future. They're not looking for that referral. They're not because they're not really running a legitimate, legitimate company anyway. They're probably going to start scamming people in the carpet cleaning business next month. Or change their name or and change, change their, their phone oh, number and website the and phone start over. The aliases, those guys have hundreds of phone numbers, hundreds of aliases. It's something different every day. And, and they don't care about what comes later. They just want it all now, now, now. And sure, mm-hmm. if you're only concerned about now, 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 you better get as much money as you can now. Mm-hmm. But um, if you're concerned about doing the right thing and establishing your business and being around for a long time because this is your career and you actually like what you do, fortunately enough for me, that's the way that it is, then yeah, just just don't be 100% focused on the money. Good advice. Do the right thing. What is one thing right now that has you the most fired up for the future? So I am super pumped about a vacation that I'm going on tomorrow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to Vancouver with some friends. But um, related to my business, I just bought, purchased the last piece of equipment really that any locksmith would ever need, which is kind of an expensive machine that will allow me to make almost any car key. Uh, there's a few BMWs, a few Mercedes, and a few other rare exotic cars here and there that I still can't do or that anybody can do for that matter. Mm-hmm. They're proprietary dealer exclusive stuff. But uh, just last week, I took the plunge. I've been saving and saving and saving because it's kind of an expensive machine and, uh, and bought this piece of equipment that will allow me to make most car keys. So I like to be a yes man or you know, I at least like the opportunity to say yes. And previously, up until this point, there were a handful of car, re- car key related problems where people would call me and I got the calls all the time. Hey, I lost all the keys to my 2010 Honda Civic. Can you please help me? And previously, my answer was no, because I didn't have this machine. And now I have it. So whether or not I get the job or not, that's up to the customer. But at least I can say, yes, I can make that key because I've got this new equipment. Right, so when you go and help somebody and they are locked out of their car and they have lost their key forever, it's not locked in the car. Correct. And they need a new key. Yes. You can now do that. Now I can do that. You can't, you don't, instead before you could open the car but they would still have to go get a key made somewhere. Correct, with certain makes and models. Previously, I could open the car and generate keys from scratch for a handful of cars, but there was a huge group of vehicles that I couldn't do because I didn't because I didn't have this last piece of equipment. I think there are two kinds of people in this world. Yeah. There are the kinds of people that never lose keys, such as my partner in crime, Mike, who yeah. I don't believe has ever lost his car key in his life. Awesome. Right? And yeah. uh, never, certainly never locked it in the car. Sure. And then there's people like myself. And I have probably locked myself out of my a car that I owned at least 10 times yeah. in my lifetime. Yeah. And once, twice in one day. Oh, so I've had a few of the <laughs> twice in one days. Yeah, but you know what? It happens to the best of us. Uh, I would just say that it's 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 not my forte. I am yeah. not. You know, I'm a great people person. And I have a lot of excellent skills. Yeah. But keeping track of my things is not one of my skill sets. But that's why we have people like you. Yeah, to I'm, come and save the day. I'm here to help. So, what's the best way to get a hold of you if somebody want, needs a locksmith ASAP? Sure. So, uh, definitely give me a call. Um, there are some times where I'm not available and I won't answer the phone or I can't answer the phone, but uh, certainly if it's an emergency, leave me a message. Hopefully I get the voicemail shortly and hopefully I'm available and I can call you right back. 
Um, but phone call is best. I am just about everywhere. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Yelp, I'm on Instagram, uh, kind of have a Twitter account. Um, you can email me, you can website. text me, I have a website. Um, I'm fairly, my, my online presence is fairly strong. But yeah, every once in a while, someone will send me a message through Yelp or a message through Facebook that's time sensitive. And well, sometimes I don't get it immediately. Right? And you know, then the opportunity is gone and passed. So if it's, if it's important or even if it's not important and you just have general questions, just give me a call. Cool. Yeah. I have one last question for you. Yes. How, how did you end up with a theme song? Theme song. So <clears throat> I do really enjoy what I do. I love this industry. I like being a locksmith. I like tinkering and fixing and working with my hands, making stuff, helping people. But I also, or you know, part of that being passionate about what I do is most of the time I consider it to be kind of fun. And I think fun is really important. So I have a hockey team that's based on my company, Green Keys Locksmith Hockey Club. I have temporary tattoos made of my logo. I have stickers and patches and I've got the Super Ben logo that another friend of mine created. So a really good friend of mine, Martin Murray, who just recently started his own little thing, Martin and the Green Guitar, which is a really neat um, children's songs that are environmentally themed. Okay. How to save water and recycle and save our planet and whatnot. And he's uh, he's a Fremont guy. He's a really good friend of mine. I used to work with him at the Outback Steakhouse. Does he go to local schools? Uh, he does. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a new thing. So he's just getting started. Cool. He just got his website. Well, just... We just put a shout out. So we'll, li- we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Martin Murray. Uh, Martin and the Green Guitar. All right. And his guitar is actually green. Just like my keys are actually green. What a cool green little key. link. Yeah, what a fun <laughs> link. But anyway, he is a singer-songwriter. And he has been his whole life and his whole family is. And so I was, let's see, it was early on. And I like to have fun. And I contact, I reached out to Martin. I said, hey. I want, I also really like marketing and advertising and whatnot. I wanted a jingle and just something real short and sweet and quick and memorable and catchy. And I wanted him to write it and I wanted him to kind of set, give me some music for it. And this guy comes back to me the next day with a whole theme song (laughs) about my company and who I am and, uh, it's it's really a hell of a thing. And you know, I didn't expect that when I went on the Locksmith website. So right. It's kind of cool. It's kind of a weird but funny, fun, fun. thing. Yeah. And, and it's relevant. And people reference it all the time, like you did. Hey, I went on your website. Your theme song is hilarious. Yeah. How did this even happen? And, I, you know, I tell the same story that I'm telling you. And uh, he plays also locally. Um, he plays at the Mojo Lounge occasionally. Okay. Um, and he'll do events at like the Vine and Niles open mic night and a few other places around. And whenever I go watch him play his other songs live, and he does a bunch of great classic rock covers and he has all his own original music as well, but he will sing that song. And of he course, he'll sing my song. Yeah. Publicly, live. <laughs> of course, I'm in the audience and I've got my uniform on or I've got my Green Keys Locksmith sweatshirt on. And you know, he'll or always. Or temporary tattoo. Or my temporary tattoo. <laughs> he'll always point to me in the crowd and I'll kind of wave my hand. And you know, inevitably, at least one person comes up to me and says, Oh, hey, can you make this car key? Can you do this? So, um, oh, that's good stuff. Martin Murray and All the right. Green Guitar. Well, Ben, thanks for coming yeah. on the show today. Thanks for and, having uh, me. And have a blast in Vancouver. Will do. We'll, we'll air this while you're gone. <laughs> That's all right. I'll, I'll listen to it when I get back. So, you know, I know you won't hear it right away because you'll be too busy having fun. But sure. All good stuff. Thanks, Remy. Thank you. Appreciate it. Stop it right there. I'm probably going to play your song right there. Yeah. Go for it. I think that'd be cool. Something happened.